In our first lesson, we hear the opening words of Paul's second letter to his student, Timothy. Now, Paul is writing from prison, and there he's remembering the things that matter most to him. Listen to God's word as it comes to us from 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. Listen to the word of God as it comes to us again from Paul's letter to the Romans, the 16th chapter. As, as he often does, Paul gives so much credit not to himself, but to all of the saints who make faith possible. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sancrie, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints and help her in whatever she may require from you, for she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Great Prissa and Aquila, who work with me in Christ Jesus and who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles, greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apinatus, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard among you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives who were in prison with me. They are prominent among the apostles and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our coworker in Christ and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet those workers in the land, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and greet his mother, a mother to me also. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. 
Greet Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. For all of the churches of Christ greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh God, open our hearts to hear the word that you would have for us this day and open our lives that we might be your people bearing your word into the world. In Christ we pray, and may all God's people say, Amen. I suspect that for each of us, Mother's Day has a very, very different meaning. For some, it is time to celebrate the gifts our mothers and grandmothers gave us, their love and example, and the sacrifices they made. Reverend Paula Mann is with her mother and father in the Midwest this weekend, and she is so blessed to celebrate those gifts. And for some of us, like me this year, it is a day of delight in our daughters who are now mothers themselves. But as Jeff noted in his prayer for others, Mother's Day can be hard. For some whose mothers were flawed or even toxic, it may be a day of bitter irony. For some whose children have died or their children's lives spiraled out of control, it can be heartbreaking. For some who desperately wanted to be a mother and never had the chance, it can be so tender. And for some, for some it can feel like a patronizing Hallmark Channel holiday that purports to honor women while keeping them in their place, especially this year when the likely end of Roe v. Wade will shackle women into having babies without giving them a choice. It is hard. For each of us, Mother's Day has very different meanings. But today I want to propose this. In all of that complexity, in all of that complexity, what if there were another meaning of Mother's Day for those of us who are Christians? A, a meaning not so focused on our personal or current reality, but, but instead on what Scripture calls our family of faith. What if we're called to raise our eyes from this current time? to look to see what God is doing and has done through those who have gone before. I was especially drawn to that question recently as I reviewed a new book from Presbyterian Publishing Company. It's called Womanist Midrash, a reintroduction to women of the Torah and the throne. It's written by Wilda Gaffney, professor of Hebrew Bible at Bright Divinity School, a black woman scholar and Episcopal priest. She has a keen take on ancient Jewish culture and, and its parallels with our own. 
I can't do justice to the book in a brief meditation, but it presses me to name the impact of our mothers in faith, starting in scripture and still alive today. Time fails me to tell of them all, but let me offer a glimpse of a few. I want to start with the women who ensured that Moses lived. First, the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah, who disobey Pharaoh when he tells them to kill every Jewish boy at birth, claiming that Hebrew mothers are too quick at giving birth. <laughs> and Moses' mother, who makes a waterproof basket when Pharaoh makes the Jews throw their baby boys into the Nile. And Pharaoh's own daughter, who sees this baby boy and rescues him. And Moses' sister, who, watching all of this, offers to find a nurse from the Hebrew women, who happens to be the boy's mother. <laughs> and then Pharaoh's daughter pays her to take care of Moses till he's grown. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> From these mothers in faith, you learn the power of fierce and fearless love. We learn the impact of creative responses to evil. And we learn that even when we feel weak or alone, Banding together can be a formidable force for good. Or what of Esther? She is a Jewish orphan raised by her uncle Mordecai. Four generations before their family was exported from Judah to Babylon, now the Jews are an invisible minority. When the king expels his queen Vashti for disobeying him. And all the virgins of the kingdom are taken into his harem to find his next wife. Voila, young Esther is crowned as queen. Though she practices her Jewish faith, Mordecai warns her to keep that identity secret. Then all hell breaks loose. Haman, the king's chief of staff, is enraged when Mordecai doesn't bow down to him. In retaliation, Haman convinces the king that not only Mordecai, but all Jews are a threat and gets his blessing to obliterate them. But Esther, as her uncle reminds us, Esther is there for such a time as this. She dares to disobey the rule that no one approached the king without his request, which could result in her being expelled like her predecessor. She does it anyway. And he receives her. And then her brilliant plan unfolds 
She holds a banquet for the king and asks him to invite Haman. And she repeats the plan the next day, bit by bit, bit by bit in conversation at the table. Haman's treachery is laid bare in exquisite Shakespearean twists that unfold. Esther risks her very life to save her people. And in the end, her faith and political savvy win the day. What do we learn from this mother in faith? We learn that political corruption is hardly new, nor is religious nationalism. We learn that faithfulness can be costly when it speaks truth to power. And we learn that courage is worth it. Courage is worth it for the unmasking of evil and the victory of good. Time fails me to tell of Ruth and Naomi, Bathsheba or Deborah, or countless more women of faith in the Old Testament, let alone do justice to so many in the New Testament. But allow me to highlight just a few, like Lois and Eunice, Timothy's grandmother and mother, whom Paul credits for their sincere, resilient faith going into Timothy and being passed along to many more. And the myriad women named in Romans 16, like Phoebe, whom Paul names as a co-worker in Christ, unheard of in that era, a deacon in her hometown, a ministry of preaching and teaching, or Prissa, a.k.a. Priscilla, missionary and church leader, along with her husband, Aquila, or Junia, whose name is often mistranslated as masculine, likely because she is the only woman called an apostle in the New Testament, or Tryphena, or Tryphosa, who likely may have been sex workers in earlier times and now may be functioning as a missionary pair, or the unnamed mother of Rufus, whom Paul reveres as his own mother. And each of these women, each of these women whom Paul lifts up in gratitude plays a role in the opening Jesus movement without whom we would not be here today. Deacons, apostles, missionaries, patrons, preachers, prisoners for the gospel. We would do well to be grateful for them, not only for their faith so long ago, but for the truth these mothers teach us still the truth that faith like life is rarely easy. The truth that faith like love can press us to sacrifice. 
the truth that by banding together, we can accomplish more than we might ever imagine, even in the most precarious times. The truth that we may be called to courageous faith too, like Moses' band of women in vulnerable spaces, like Esther in positions of political power, like the many women Paul lifts up who regardless of wealth or poverty, of dignity or shame, stretch the bounds of social expectation and accept Christ's call to lead. I cannot know what this might mean for you, not just you who are women, but also you who are men, who have been given so much of how to be faithful through these mothers in faith. But this I do know, we do our mothers in faith the greatest honor when we rise, when we rise to the calling of our own time. For it is then that their faith lives, through us that their faith lives, which I suspect as a mother is the most important honor we can give them. Amen. Thank you.